Our Father in heaven, most gracious Lord, we thank you for this new day that you have created. Even the sun rising uh, at the same time uh, or at, at different times, but we know exactly even a thousand years from now when it's going to rise shows your greatness, that you create things in order and you're faithful. Uh, Lord, we praise you this day for the opportunity to come here and look at your word and see what you say to us, you revealing yourself and your, your plan and your will. You are most gracious to give us that revelation. Lord, I pray that this morning you will open our eyes to see what you have to, us to see as we look into your word. Help us understand it rightly. Uh, for those that are afflicted this morning, I pray you would give them great comfort and they would find comfort in your word. We are thankful for this opportunity to study your word and then later to worship. Go before us, we pray in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Well, first of all, I'd like to just give a review. Even though you've been in this class for most of you for previous lessons, uh, it never hurts to review and drill it into our hearts because repetition is the mother of learning. So, and memory, that's right. So, slide two, sweetie. All right, so the, um, the thesis statement, as you know, what Paul laid out in this book in chapter 1, and he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. For in it, in, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I also came across two very good outlines that I thought I'd share with you. I should have put them on the uh, handout, but I didn't. Um, but if you want to take a picture of it with your phone, it, I thought this was great. The first one is using the S, as a, S words as a theme. The second, R words as a theme. But just in review where we've been, Paul starts out with, with um, a salutation, of course, and then looking at the S, the left side, the first couple of chapters, really, we dwelled on sin, the, how mankind is depraved and our condition is desperately, um, and because, desperate because of our sin. And then he moves on to the section we're in now. We're going to actually finish today the salvation part where he reveals, God reveals in this passage how we're saved. And it's interesting, in, either, in both of these outlines, justification isn't even mentioned. But that has been the theme of this section that we're ending today is justification by faith. So that's the only downfall, if you will, of these outlines, I think. And then next week, we'll pick up with the theme of sanctification. The R words, you know, 
are themed around the righteousness of God. And that's really what Romans were talking about. Or It's in this thesis statement. Uh, for the righteousness of God is now revealed from faith for, by faith. So he talks about the righteousness required of humanity in the chapters 1 through 320. The righteousness received in Christ alone in chapter 3. The righteousness of God received by faith alone, which is why we're justified. And that's chapters 3 through 521, which includes today. And then we will move on to sanctification next week. So that's the uh, quick review of where we've been so far. And we're, we've looked at what Christ has done to save sinners. And it is our power, the gospel, and should always be our focus. Christ and him crucified. And this, this book, the whole book of Romans, as we have talked about, answers the question, how can we be made right when we stand before God? How are we right in God's sight? A very important question of eternal importance. And we talked about how total righteousness was required, not just to be, have a clean slate, but an active righteousness. And, and we talked about how it's the alien righteousness of Christ, not our own, but Christ's righteousness. And faith is that instrument or the ticket, if you will, to receive that righteousness. I listened to Kyle's um, Sunday School last week, and last week we just soared and we talked about, you know, he, he talked, that's such a glorious pa passage where we now have peace with God. The war's over. We now have a right standing with God because of what Christ has done, and we have hope for suffering. So, go to the next slide, Boo. Um, so Paul has been spending a lot of ink describing number two and number three, which uh, I, I keep bringing this slide up every time I teach because it's really a key thing to understand. If you want to understand the gospel, if we, we really get it, we're going to have to see these three imputations. And number two and number three combined um, are... Uh, we've been over it a lot. Today, we're going to look at the first imputation, primarily, where God imputes Adam's sin to the whole human race. And we're, so, number the two and three, we have a, a kind of a name for that. How would you sum up number two and number three? We, it, it was summarizing what? Do anybody remember what we called number two and three combined? The Great Exchange, where... We give uh, our sin to Christ, and he gives his righteousness to us. This third, or the, the top, is we, we're going to go back, and Paul wants to go back in this passage to help us understand how he can do that, the how of justification. How is it? What is the system in place that he enables us to, uh, enables our sin to go to Christ and his righteousness to come to us? There's a fundamental process at work here that Paul's going to unpack today in this lesson. We talked about how we're justified by faith, 
and how it makes us not guilty as well as obtaining that perfect record in the courtroom of heaven, which is what counts. It's very um, forensic. So Paul's going to explain that system, and he's going to in this passage today, he's he's taking a satellite view or a very he's got a wide lens camera that he's going to unpack. And you remember how, I think the last time I was here, I did the old Sesame Street, not Sesame Street, Sesame Street thing, <laughs> where uh, it was brought to you by the letter L. Does anybody remember what the letter L, while we, I said that it was brought to you by the letter L last time I was here in chapter four? What was the L word? Anybody remember? It's, it's a Greek word, hint, hint. Lokidzama. And what, that's Greek, and it was appeared like a, a gazillion times in chapter, in the, that chapter. What does what um, the kids, kids of mine mean? Anybody remember? Anybody besides Bill remember? <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad we're reviewing it. It's a very, there, there are only, well... I was going to say there are only a several Greek words we should all memorize, but that's one of them. Lekidzema means imputed, which is another kind of not everyday word. What, anybody want to share, what does impute mean? We went over it ad nauseum. Actually, I shouldn't say ad nauseum when we're talking about a Bible word. Ad glory. What, what does impute mean? Anybody want to refresh us? All right, well, it's good we're reviewing. <laughs> yes, Jeff. Great, that is, a, that is a good answer. Where'd you get that? Yes, it's an accounting term, and when you impute something, you are crediting or reckoning something to someone. So these three imputations are where... Um, are very important, and that, as Steve illustrated, the definition is in your handout. Okay. Yes, Darcy. Well, I was going to say, you've got highlighted number one there, but that's also the argument that you would have to people that aren't here. Okay. Um, number one, God imputes Adam's sin to the whole human race. That also is the other, or flip side of uh, the argument, why am I guilty because of Adam's sin? And if that was operative, that principle in Adam, then obviously it's going to work uh, in Christ. But if you don't have it working in Christ, you're at a loss without any help because in, in Adam, um, we're all fallen and uh, we're stuck with that if we don't have the principle that Jesus, I don't know if it's reiterate, but whatever it is as far as... Uh, um, without his work and imputing to us, right. we, there would be no hope for us. Right, right. Thank you. Because I think you asked that question last time you taught. Um, anyhow. Yeah, thank you, Doris. Okay, so keeping with that Sesame Street theme, today's letter, today's lesson is brought to you by the letter O for the word one. And in our passage today, the word, I noticed the word one 
appears 13 or 14 times. So it talks about the one man, Adam, and the one man, Christ Jesus, in this passage. But first, next, oh, yes, okay. Uh, This is an important question. All right, what is wrong with this statement? And what's inaccurate about this statement? There are either there are two types of people in this world. They're Duke fans or they're and Carolina fans. I take offense to that. Okay. What well, okay, so you're saying that they don't come under the umbrella. It's not inclusive, right? That's the problem. There may be Wake Forest fans. Maybe. Uh, maybe. There are Wake Forest fans. There may be some Clemson folks in here. So that's the problem with that statement, right? Next slide, please, Boo. And here we have another statement. There are two types of people in this world. There are pregnant people and non-pregnant people. So is that an accurate statement? Yes. Okay, they're they're male or female, yes. But, right, there's a lot of it. But is this non-inclusive or inclusive of everybody? It's all-inclusive, which leads me to the next slide, which you'll see where I'm going with this. There are two types of people in this world, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. And Paul is saying that all of humanity, humanity can be categorized in one of those two. And that's the theme today, those in Adam and those in Christ. Two different men, two different actions, two different results. Let's, let's go ahead and, before we do anything else, let's read the scriptures. And I'll, I'll pick back up. This is, um, our, our text today is Romans 5, 12 through 21. And, and you, it's in your handout, which, by the way, uh, does everybody have access to a handout? Anybody not have access to a handout? Oh, good. We had enough copies today. Good. Okay. Or you can look at your Bible. Romans five twelve through 21. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men... Because all sinned. For until till the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam to Moses. Even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and, by the, and the gift by the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one that sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. 
For if by the one man's offense, offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Where, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So both Adam and Christ are very unique in history. They both represent a group of people and this is sometimes called federalism. Um, as you know, our nation was founded uh, with a federalism uh, background. Our, our representatives, though, you know, we were represented, have a representative uh, government, and our representatives don't always do what we like or wish, but nevertheless, they represent us. If uh, President Biden and Congress declared war on Mexico, Like it or not, we would all be at war with Mexico. To use, and I I put up a little, a few examples. Uh, First, a football example. Um, What's the the coach? I used, uh, let me think of a football coach. Okay, Clemson's playing a football game. You're watching it, and um, there's an offside penalty. And it's, let's say it's Clemson and Dabo, Dabo Sweeney, is that how you pronounce it? Is that the coach? Dabo. Okay, so they throw the flag. Dabo runs onto the field and says, you can't do that. You can't, you can't, only one guy, there was one lineman that was offside. You can't penalize a whole team because that one guy went offsides. Now, would that be crazy for him to say that? Of course it would. Or let's say, um, well, there, there's all kinds. Can y'all think of any other examples of where, in today's culture and life, where the many are penalized or blessed because of the one, for one one act? Any other examples y'all can think of? Marianne? I think it, in the workplace, um, sometimes if one person does something, all of a sudden the rules are tightened up for every That's other great person. great example, yeah. Yep, we can relate to that. Thank you. All right, so let's talk about some biblical examples. It's not just here in Romans 5, but all through the Old Testament, there are a lot of examples. I mentioned just two. Of course, we know the story of Achan, where Achan, you know, they, they, had, they won the war, and, and Achan was a soldier. He brought home spoils, and against God's command, God pro- prohibited them from taking any of the spoils individually, and yet... Achan brought and hid it and buried it in his tent, all the the goodies, whatever it was. And what happened as a result of that to the the nation? They were punished, and the whole nation was. 
And so that was an example in Joshua 7. And, and of course, David and Goliath. When David, you know, slew the, and killed Goliath with the stone, when they went back to those soldiers and the, the crowd went back to their homes, because I, I don't think the whole nation was there witnessing this. So the soldier goes back to the home and, and, and they want to know what happened. And what would he, he would have said, we won. We, the nation, won. He was our representative, but we won. Can you all think of any other um, biblical examples of, of where the many and the benefit from the one or are punished by the one? Oh, yes, Adam's a good example. Yeah, very nice. Noah. Noah. Okay, how so? Bring the mic, Dave. Well, the scripture doesn't cite Noah's sons or their wives or his wife's righteousness. It cites the relationship between Noah and God and his obedience. And through his obedience... Um, his family was carried through uh, the waters in safety. Yes. Noah is a great example because um, we, we would learn later those sons were scandals, a couple of them were. Um, I think of another example, power of attorney. When you have power of attorney, you represent somebody for good or ill. Hopefully you're a good fiduciary. Marshall? Yes. Dorothy had... Dorothy has a question. Darcy. Oh, yes, Darcy. Would you mind addressing um, the dimension of federalism within the New Testament where <clears throat> later in the Old Testament uh, it was not a familial punishment or a tribal punishment, but each individual stood on their own because it says two or three different times in the Old Testament and then several times in the New Testament where a man who sins will no longer... Um, his sons will not be accountable for the, to the third or fourth or tenth generation. And that's changed. Do you mind addressing that and where it fits and where it doesn't fit anymore? Or, or do you disagree with that in principle? Do you understand what I'm saying? Not really. What, it, was it a rhetorical question? Can you address it? Yes, I can. Uh, I let's hear what you, you think here. Answer your own questions, and then we can discuss it. What? He wants to approach you later, I think. If originally, if a man sinned, like Achan, the entire family paid the price, and they took his whole family out and stoned him all the way to the little kids. Later in Scripture, in several places, Bill can help me on that, is that um, a son will not pay the price or the penalty for his father's sin. He will stand on his own, and it becomes much more individualistic, and that's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but later Old Testament. Can you explain where that fits into federalism? Where's an example of that? Where, where would be an example of that, Darcy, where it isn't... Okay, meanwhile... Bring the mic to Craig. He has some thoughts on this. I it's a novel thought to me, quite frankly. On a, All right, listen, Craig. On, a, on just to start with the basic level, both principles 
have always been in place to this day. You can see today, <clears throat> children can suffer for decisions their parents make, um, even though they've done no wrong. Um, I see that, I don't know a lot, I don't watch a lot of news, but I saw just some basic things about the Hamas situation. A lot of children there seem to be suffering because of nothing they've done, but decisions maybe others in their society or parents have done. And maybe that's a controversial example, but you could think of examples in our own experience in families where children suffer because of what their parents do. And yet at the same time, <clears throat> God does not judge those children and um, because of the sins of their parents as far as, you know, his judgment is for what they do. You know, how do they respond to the sins of their parents? How do they respond? And the reality is, we're, you know, in Romans 3, we're all under sin. So I see both principles are in place throughout scripture. Not, it's not like there's a change all of a sudden. Now, children no longer suffer because of the poor decisions of their parents. It's always the case. And at the same time, always, Cain was judged for what he did. You know, he wasn't put in a good spot because of what his father did. You know, so the both are always there. All right, thank you, Craig. Do you have a comment, Steve? One more and we'll move on. Steve. Uh, there's a difference between the effects of the parents have on their children and the judgment of God on those children because of what the parents do. God does not judge the children because of what the parents do. But since this is a fallen world, the, the sins of other people can affect us even if we're not involved in those particular sins. And I, I think that's a definite difference that is explicitly made in passages like Ezekiel chapter 18, where he says this, the, the sins of the individual will affect that individual. If a father commits murder, the son will not pun be punished for that murder as well as the father. Very good. Darcy, do you find an example? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's um, let's uh, go to slide eight, Boo. So we're we're going to dig into the uh, this this passage is broken down very nicely into three different sections. And the the first here is the condemnation in Adam. Have you ever been talking to someone or had somebody talking to you, and just out of the blue, they kind of go off, they get, us, they get excited and they say something different that really is off track. It happens all the time, right? Um, I forget there's a special word for that, term for that, and, uh, which I forgot. But most of us do it a lot, uh, some more than others. You'll notice in your Bible at verse 12, there's a dash. I highlighted it up there. And that's, exact, that's denoting exactly what Paul's doing here. He has a message within his message. And so it's something parenthetical. In fact, if you want to in your Bible, as I did, put a parenthesis. You may want to put a parenthesis from the dash and close it at the end of 17 because he's saying just as one man and then uh, just as one man through 
one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And then he goes on this tangent, but he doesn't answer, he doesn't complete the sentence until uh, after 17. So at the end of 17, you could close that parentheses. That's, that's his little rabbit trail, if you were. Now, some rabbit trails, when I do a rabbit trail and I speak, talk like that, I forget what I was going to say in the first place, but Paul didn't. Of course, he was writing too. He comes back to it. But, but it's not that it's irrelevant. It's relevant to the passage. So that's what's going on there with that dash in your Bibles. I think most translations have a dash. Yeah. I think so. I, I know there are some others. I can't tell you where they are, but I've seen it before. It's a good question. All right. Paul begins with therefore, and that always, as we know, it's there because it's um, talking about what happened before. He's tying the passage from last week. He wants to explain now how justification works and with this important principle of imputation and specifically with Adam. He says, death spread to all men for all sinned, and they were dying between Adam and Moses. And yet, he says, death reigned from Adam to Moses. And that is why babies die. They haven't committed any sin, but they, they, um, but all people die between Adam and Moses because of Adam, the, the inherent sin, the Adamic sin that they did as our representative. Um, they hadn't learned the law yet. They weren't guilty um, from their own sins yet. A, a child in the womb, coming out of the womb, hasn't learned the law, and yet. They die because we are all guilty, including infants, of Adam's sin. This is a very difficult passage to swallow for some, but we know that's true. Uh, Psalm 51, in sin my mother conceived me. There's lots of scriptural support for that. And since I raised the question about children, it may prompt a question in your mind, do babies go to heaven? Or infants, when they die, do they go to heaven? And that's a very sober and sub, uh, sensitive subject. I personally believe, and, and the Bible's not real explicit with this, and yet there, there are indications in Scripture where make me believe that they do go to heaven, uh, most definitely covenant children, because as you recall, when David, with his little affair with Bathsheba, conceived and the baby died, what did David say? Does anybody remember? I will see him again. Yes. I will not, uh, he will not come to me, but I will go to him, I think is the actual quote. I'll see him again in heaven. So that's one very comforting uh, verse where, pardon me? Right, if, if, yeah, for those listening on tape, it, the point was that he would go to Sheol, not directly to heaven. All of us, unless Christ comes, we're all going to spend some time in Sheol, in the grave. Our bodies will. Our spirits will be in paradise, just like the thief on the cross, but we'll be disembodied until the resurrection. Isn't Sheol, uh, Sheol is not hell, is it? Isn't it? I understand Sheol to be the grave. Isn't that the interpretation of Sheol or, or the, the what? Well, you know how 
the place of shade. The grave. It, Sheol, the grave. Um, we will all be there one day. Our bodies will. Okay, back to the passage. Um, just um, so two things we know for sure on that subject. One is the judge of the earth, shall he not do right? God will, any judgment to anybody is always right. And also, I just lean on the absolute goodness of God. His, his goodness endures forever. So and it, that's a subject we could talk a lot about, but uh, we won't. All right, so Paul says that sin was counted when the law came. He says here, sin is not counted where there is no law. He said he didn't know what coveting was in the New Testament until he read the commandment, thou shalt not covet. And all the other commandments can be seen. You can see somebody murdering somebody and not breaking the Sabbath, all those laws. But the covet's kind of unique in that um, it's a matter of the heart on the inside. But the point is, before Moses, the law had not come yet. It was, it was kind of like um, today if there were no speed limit signs. Well, my common sense uh, and I, tells me that it would be very dangerous for me to drive down Jefferson Avenue uh, Road at 120. Now, my speedometer on my car has 120 on it, which makes me think, this, I want to see what this sucker can do. It, it, it has the capacity to go 120, and it might be fun to go, somewhat fun, but I, I know in my heart it's dangerous, right? to go 120 down Jefferson, even if there was no speed limit sign. But the speed limit sign says, I think, 35 out there, right? And that magnifies the law. It's like, uh, I wasn't gonna, Mama, I wasn't going to take that cookie until you told me, don't eat the cookies. It just makes me want to do it, right? Have any of y'all, and are willing to confess, have you ever, any of y'all touched a wet paint sign just to see... No, really? Oh, come on, Jen. Never. <laughs> but you wanted to, right? Didn't you want to? Anyway, the law magnifies our sin. And we know that it has the effect of inciting sin in us. And we sometimes just can't help ourselves for things like that. So Adam chose to disobey God, and he that disobedience brought with it a totally unmitigated disaster. And if you question that, just watch the evening news. The, the implications of the fall are huge. Uh, the suffering and misery brought in is, is a result of that sin. Now, what, should, what Adam should have done is he said, Dear, that serpent is lying. We must believe what God said. And he should have drove him right then out of the garden. But he didn't. In contrast, if you recall, what did Jesus do with the serpent when he came in the Sermon on the Mount? He quoted scripture. It is written. And he, a different type of garden, did drive the serpent out. And so there's so many contrasts and comparisons contrasts with Adam and Christ. So just as the Israelites should have driven out the... um, all the ites, the Canaanites and parasites, whatever, all the ites in Israel, <laughs> God commanded to drive them all out of the land. 
but they didn't. They dis disobeyed. And, as, and, and one uh, real key verse, I think, is Hosea 6, 7. It says, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Israel, talking about Israel. And verse 14 here says that Adam was a type or a pattern of one to come. And the Old Testament is full of those types and patterns and shadows of the real thing. Next slide. So in, let's go on to the second uh, passage here. And again, there are contrasts. In verse 16, we see that one sin brought condemnation. And this is legal language, guilty, courtroom language. But the gift, free gift, brought justification. And the free gift is not like the trespass. Grace and righteousness came to many by one man, Jesus Christ, who brought justification. And what I think, I love it connoting here that what Adam did, Christ far exceeded. You know, we sing that song, um, Our Sins, They Are Many, but His Mercies Are More. It reminds me of that song we often sing. So, the salvation brought by the one man Christ is much more than the sin brought, brought by the one man Adam. And then, uh, next slide, boo. There are more contrasts in this next passage, next section. Uh, verse 18, the result of one trespass was condemnation for all. The result of one act of righteousness was justification and imputed righteousness for many. Notice it doesn't say all, but only those who are elect and God would uh, elect and, and those that receive the gift of free, the free gift of justification through faith. Verse 19, through the disobedience of one, the many were made sinners. Through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. So in this passage, this is um, often uh, de described as original sin, the doctrine of original sin, which is considered uh, very controversial by a lot of people. And in the 5th century, it was very controversial with uh, Pelagius, who was later declared to be a heretic, took issue with this doctrine. And his great debate with, had a great debate with St. Augustine. And he, what Pelagius argued was that Adam was a bad example. He, he rejected the whole notion that he was our federal head and representative. We can... We have, we're born with a clean slate, in other words. And yet the scripture seems so clear here that there's question. Of, also, even today, uh, you've got Rome and, and Eastern Orthodox, our friends. They're totally, that's why they hate Augustine. One of the reasons they don't like St. Augustine is this, his uh, belief in this, that Paul... This passage here is a, original sin is what's going on. Um, so it's, it's a very, it can be controversial. And, you know, Paul said about, or Peter said about Paul's writings, it can be very difficult sometimes. And a lot of people look at this passage as an example. It seems to me, though, pretty clear what Scripture's saying. And it's amazing to me the 
interpretive gymnastics people can go through to see this passage other than what seems pretty plain to me. And I think part of it is we Westerners, we're in a very individualistic society, and we tend to reject anything that is familial like that, whereas in other cultures don't have a problem with this, but we do because it just goes against our grain, um, and it just seems not fair. How would you answer the objection that it's just not fair? I wasn't there. I didn't pick Adam to be my representative, and I wasn't there, dadgummit. Why are you... Blaming me, God, for what that man did. I wasn't there. Uh, I would, I would answer that by saying Hang on. Back up. Back up. Here comes yeah. the mic. I would answer that by saying you weren't there when Jesus was crucified either. So are you going to deny that his crucifixion paid for your sins? Yeah, that's, did he not represent everyone who believes in him? You, you can't have the one without the other. Right. Good. That, that was basically what you were saying, wasn't it, Darcy? Initially, yeah, earlier on. Just a note. This thing with Adam's sin is like a poison. It says it spread to all mankind. And the remedy... I mean, we're talking about I didn't do, I didn't this, I didn't that. Well, yes, you did because you're poisoned. And somehow or another, the effects of the poison have to be taken care of. And you're guilty. Yeah, that's right. But it's, it's not just that Adam does one bad thing. <clears throat> no, it's much bigger than that. It's like if I've got something I can't get rid of. So, right, very good. Um, so, consider that no one could have chosen a representative for you as good as God could have. I mean, if we think that we would have, you know, I think God was very gracious in making Adam our representative. And, 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 of course, we have to just state the obvious. We all have our own sins enough besides Adam's to, that we're guilty. But uh, whether we like it or not, <laughs> and we may think it's unfair, it's reality. And there, there's nothing, there's, this is one of those things, there's so much empirical evidence for it to be true. You just see it all around. It's almost undeniable in, when we look. So, let's, um, I want to open it up now to the next slide, to um, questions and comments. I've already done my concluding remarks. And and, um, if anybody has any questions about this passage, or even just broader, everything we've discussed so far, I thought we'd spend a little time, um, because we're ending the section this today of justification by faith. So we're going to move on to uh, next week. In fact, the first verse, I think, is um, so this is so glorious. Can we just sin? And he's going to talk about how we deal with this Adamic nature and all of our sin. But, but before we move on to the next section of Scripture, let's, does anybody have any comments or questions on today's 
Oh, a lot of yeah. hands. I love it. I'm going to so, hand this to Jen and then Steve. But I'm going to, uh, if you all come back tonight, we get to recite uh, the shorter catechism. And it just happens to deal with this question. 17 says, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? And the answer to that is the fall brought mankind, not just Adam, into an estate of sin and misery. And question 18, wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate whereinto man fell? And it's the sinful that, sinfulness of that estate whereinto man fell consists in the guilt is the first thing of Adam's first sin. But not only that, but the want of righteousness and then and the corruption. So those three things, guilt, want, and corruption of his whole nature which is commonly called original sin, which is exactly what you taught this morning, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. So it's the sin and then all the sins that, that follow. So come back tonight and recite that all together. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Uh, you touched on this when you were talking about this is legal language. Um, as I read this and starting from the beginning of five um, that we learned last week, it's written like an Aristotelian Sorites in logic which this, the structure is A is B, B is C, C is D, therefore A is D. <clears throat> so, um, and he continues with that in this passage that we're reading here. All of it could be written as valid syllogisms. So um, it checks out. Yeah. <laughs> I love you bringing the logic. And it's also, in Hebrew, it's kind of a chiatic structure. Uh, but very much logical flow, absolutely. Yes, Mr. Steve. Uh, David kind of uh, alluded to this, that the change in Adam wasn't just God's attitude towards him. It was his whole fundamental nature and orientation toward God and the world. And he corrupted his nature in such a way that he put himself above God and God's will for everything, and we inherited that orientation so that when we grow up, our whole focus is on me, what's good for me, what I want, and if God says no, well, um, I, my desire overcomes his and is more important than his. Uh, so it was a corruption of our whole nature, and that is one of the effects of salvation is that we are new creations. God changes that whole orientation by regenerating our dead spirits so that we are now focused on what God wants and we prefer that to our own uh, desires. Uh, ideally, if we're following God, we want to do what God wants more than what I want if the two are opposed to each other. So, and that's the fight that we have because we still have that old nature. But the, the change is in our fundamental orientation towards life. It's not just the way God looks at us. That's a good setup for next week, the fight. Yes, Scott. You know, I think a simple foundational illustration of the doctrine of Adam's sin being imputed to all is Melissa and I have four kids we have never had to teach any of them to disobey. But we have spent a lot of energy trying to teach them to obey. And I haven't seen one kid in my 53 years of life <laughs> that needed to be taught to obey. 
there's that sin nature that you mean disobey, to, right? To disobey, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Um, it's that it's the effort that goes into teaching them how to obey. Yeah. A couple other illustrations that came to mind. Just um, the scientific world is obsessed with DNA. We understand how things get passed on from generation to generation. So the more we learn, even from a scientific perspective, um, I, I love thinking about things, um, well, going back to Romans 1, Romans 1, about how it's so clearly seen in nature. And even the more we learn about it, um, for something to be passed on from multiple generations back is something that we're, we're still. Uh, pregnant women carry the DNA of their children in them for their entire life. Um, the other illustration, biblical illustration that I thought of was, um, the young boy with five loaves and two fishes, how he was the one who had just a little, but the Mm -hmm. only one in a group of so many. And I think a question that I've always struggled is why so much left over, but through one child's obedience to give up a little bit, Jesus fed the multitude plus 12 left over. Mm, that's great, yeah. I always did not like that verse because it was biblical justification for eating leftovers, and I hate leftovers. <laughs> but that, that's good. Um, stay tuned. Never leave a, a, a full plate, right? Um, the question that uh, Scott raised about uh, obedience um, and how important it is to train up your children to be obedient. Uh, how do you relate that to verse uh, 17, where it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will, re, uh, will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. How would you explain that to someone who's seeking to train their children up in obedience. Um, any, any thoughts on that? I'm, my brain's kind of frozen up right now. So I, I would teach them the scriptures. Justin? As someone working on training up young children in obedience, um, that verse is very comforting and that those sins are covered and forgiven by Christ. It is his righteousness and not mine teaching my children or my own for my own self that I need to worry about my children. However, I'm still being obedient to Christ by teaching them to follow. As Pastor Stewart would say, you know, it's a bad way to start on righteousness by saying, oh, I can just sin. And I think it's covered in our next um, weeks too. So the idea of we still work for righteousness, but we don't work for salvation, right? We still try to be righteous because God commanded it, but we don't have to worry about, um, we don't have to worry about the success of it because Jesus already accomplished that for us. In verse 17, it talks about the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through Jesus Christ. And the question that I, uh, and we all, I think, struggle with this, is 
when we're training our children to be obedient, often we fail to, I did, because I didn't understand this, fail to, to teach our children that it's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. And Jesus was the one that lived the life that was perfect in obedience. And if we focus on our children being obedient and not put together that Christ is the one that is the only perfect one, we're going to miss the boat, I think, in teaching our children to be self-righteous. And so I think that's really important, I think, to... Yep, to absolutely. help us to understand that uh, that life, you know, I've often wondered uh, when I'm reading uh, in Romans, it talks about that in several places where it's the life of Christ that is our salvation. And, um, you know, we hear about the death a lot, but the life that he lived in perfect obedience is really important. Yeah, I resonate with that, Stephen. When my kids, when I was raising my kids, it was all about daddy's rules, chew with your mouth closed. I was constantly, you know, harping on them about behavior. But I, I wish I had spent more time uh, taking them back to uh, Christ uh, with with it, these everyday things that irked me. You know, I was just uh, over over legalistic, and I taught them that. But, Thank the Lord by his grace, they all now are walking with the Lord and wasn't um, damaging, but that was um, very much where I went. Yes, Patrick. You've got to give David a workout here. (laughs) Aerobic Sunday. Uh, Two things. First of all, I want to commend to everyone. There's uh, an excellent short sermon series by Ed Donnelly on these passages. Uh, and he speaks of this in talking of the representative headship of Christ and of Adam and of um, two, the two great giants, he's re- as he refers to them, of wearing a, two great giants wearing a belt. Ed each. Donnelly? Ed Donnelly. Um, and uh, that we're either hanging from the belt of Christ as our representative head or we're hanging from Adam, mm-hmm. relying on uh, those works, mm-hmm. the works of the one or the works of the other. And uh, in Adam's fall, we all fell uh, because we were hanging from his belt. But it is Christ who has taken us and transferred us into the dominion uh, of his, his wonderful son. Um, the Lord has taken us and transferred us into to Christ's kingdom. Um, the second thing is just thinking about the, the parenting component. And um, as parents, we can parent behavior or seek to parent the heart. I think the easy one is parenting the behavior, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't. It's not either or. I think it's both and. Yeah. And, yeah. and our uh, joys and my efforts and the efforts of many here to target the heart because the heart of the problem is the problem with the human heart, as Neil famously has said many times. And so we seek to look at that as a what is the the real problem here? And the problem is that my children are sinners mm-hmm. um, and that they need a faithful savior. Mm-hmm. And so he's also commanded me to be faithful in parenting and to, to do that, um, God willing, with that in mind versus just behavioral control. Amen. Well, um, 
I was going to close with the catechism, but uh, I was going to read the very thing you read. But while we're making recommendations, um, there's a book, Creeds, Confessions, and Catechisms by Chad Van Dixhorn that is the best. This is second to my Bible. This is my favorite book. It's got all the major catechisms. The 11th most important writings of the Reformation or important documents of the Reformation are in this book. It's got uh, Heidelberg, the Belgic, all, all the, the shorter, the long catechism. Anyway, if you want a great book to, for all the catechisms in one place, this is a great volume. Okay, so, and, pardon me? Yeah, uh, Creeds, Confessions, and Catechisms, edited by Chad Van Dixhorn. And I'll, it'll be up here if you want to come take a look at it. So, what? Yeah, that sounds about right. Actually, I got it for 15 uh, but that sale may be over. Yeah. Um, so it, it, Reforma Reformation Heritage is where I got it. Okay, so today's passage teaches us that Christ is our representative. If he's our representative, and what is true of Christ is true for us. Uh, that in God's eyes, he sees us as he sees Christ. I, I can't, that, there can be no more glorious thought to ponder on. All right, I started with Duke. I'm going to end with Duke. All right, so do any of y'all, any Duke fans in here, by the way? All right. No, there are two. Three, count me and Dorothy. Dorothy's, I, I proselytize her. So do y'all remember there was a player named Shane Battier? Anytime he'd make a great block or um, hit a three-point or something, the crowd would chant something. Anybody remember what it would, they would say? Who's your daddy, Battier? Who's your daddy, Battier? Who's your daddy, Battier? Uh, yes, very good, Scott. So <laughs> the, the, the camera crazies would start this chant, who's your daddy, Battier? Well, getting more serious now, that's, I started to title this, you know, I think I put the reign of sin, the reign of death. It could easily be called, who is your daddy? So I want to leave you with this very eternally important question. Who's your daddy? Is it Adam or is it Christ? It is a question of totally eternal, uh, critical importance. And, you know, we live in a day of identity is is very important. So don't miss this crucial identity question. If you are in Christ, you have all the benefits and the record of Christ. If you are in Adam, you are not, you are eternally in jeopardy. So make sure if you're not, if you're here today and you know you aren't for certain that you are in Christ and the Bible you can know for certain because the Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life rejoice in it if you are listening to this on online or if you're here today and you know don't know that you are in Christ then he, he offers he, he says come he will in no wise cast out any today could be your day so just want to leave you with that. Turn to him in faith, and he will not cast you out. And um, I'm going to pray and close. Be sure to go get your kids. The Sunday school teachers are eager for you to see your face. All right, let's pray.
Our Father and our God, what a glorious thought it is to know that you are our representative head, that all that we lost in the fall, we gain back in Christ and more. It's the curse has been reversed, and Lord, you are our righteousness. What a glorious thought that we can be justified, just as if I never sinned, and just as if we have your righteousness. It's almost too good to be true, but Lord, we believe it. Help our unbelief, Lord. Now go with us. I pray that you'll go with us now to open our hearts to worship you in spirit and truth and sing your praises, hear your word, and leave transformed so that we might bless you and love our neighbor. I pray for everyone's thanksgiving. We pray that you would give us thankful hearts and that there'd be opportunities to share the gospel with unbelieving family and friends this week. Uh, Only you can raise the dead and make life out of where there's death, even out of nothing, you can create new life. I pray that you would do that this week and that you would help us see more and more the glories of your work through Christ. In your name we pray, amen.